Hi, I'm Steve Barlow. This is the Humanised Workforce Future You podcast series, where we ask people from all walks of life to talk about their perception of the future and their role in a rapidly changing work and life environment. Hi, I'm Craig Saffin. Day by day, we are all learning to live with the impact technology, AI, and changing health and social conditions have on our lives. Mostly, it is presented as scary and a loss of opportunities. The Humanised Workforce Future You podcast series thinks the future is bright and something to look forward to. Let's see what today's guest thinks. Our guest today is Professor Clive Sporman. Clive started his tertiary studies and career in an artificial intelligence that changed course, something that he later questioned whether it was the right decision, but nevertheless, he made that decision. He moved into academic life, focusing on sustainability, leadership, and risk management. He's worked at universities in England, and later he moved to New Zealand, where he raised his children with his partner. And then after they were grown up, he moved to Australia where he's worked at uh, Western Sydney University. Now he's in the process of setting up a business school. Let's talk to Clive about his view of humanised workforce future year. My name's Steve Barlow, and we're joined today, as usual, by Craig Saffin. How are you, Craig? I'm well, thanks, Steve. Good morning. Good morning. And we've also got with us today Professor Clive Smallman. So it's good to have you here, Clive. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Craig, Steve. Nice to be here. Clive, do you want to tell us a little bit about your background and who you are and what you do? (laughs) Yeah, I've got what you might call an interesting background. I actually started off bizarrely professionally in artificial intelligence research a long time ago and for some reason left it, which (laughs) to my eternal curse, it seems to be coming back in or is back in, not coming back in, but moved into uh, an academic life after that basically working in uh, around the space of initially sustainability, risk management, a little bit of leadership. Spent some time in British business schools, including Cambridge, and then flirted with going back into industry a couple of times. So I've always had this commercial applied bent to research and writing that I do. And then uh, from there, moved to New Zealand um, to take up a professorship and to give my children, a, a, I think, a better lifestyle, which they got in New Zealand for sure. That's where they grew up. And then came here for, came to Australia for, to, for, to move my career on a bit. Western Sydney University had a great time there working with the team there, set up, set up their new business school, did some work there, ended up working with the Vice-Chancellor for a little while in the uh, policy and strategy space, but then moved out into the private sector, which is where I've been ever since, largely self-employed, doing a combination of consulting, course development, research for a range of institutes, including the one that I own, which is called the International Institute for MBA Studies, which is in the process of of developing and launching just at the moment. And it's interesting, the, the subject of this is... All of the sorts of things that we do, we always try to tie them back to are they applicable, relevant skills to where where work and life is going in the face of a heck of a lot of challenges that we've got, let's put it that way. So that's me. Um, There's a lot lot in there. That's a very complex uh, picture. Uh, Out of all of that, um, what, what do you think you're really passionate about? What is the thing that's really driving you each day now? Uh, It's funny, you know, I I sat down to write a blog this morning 
um, uh, and, and stopped because I was getting too maudlin about it. Um, I, I, what I'm passionate about is can we please get over telling everybody how they should live, what they should do, who should they be, what, you know, what they should believe in. For goodness sakes, live and let live, do no harm. But I, I, I put that in a post to, on a response to something Peter Fitzsimons put up the other day on Twitter, uh, agreeing with him, uh, um, because I think we spend too much time in this, in this world trying to get other people to do what, what we think they should do. Mm-hmm. Very often we're not doing it ourselves either. Um, um, without wishing to get political or, or, or going down the religious argument, that there's there's a whole there's a whole heap of stuff going on that we need to sort out, and, and some of the solutions some people have in mind are going to take us firmly backwards. So I'm very passionate about people, and I'm very passionate about educating people. I'm also very passionate about education around creativity, around mm. innovation, around um, making better decisions, making ethical decisions. And ethics, business ethics is all around around making better decisions is what it mm. comes down to for me. And, and then leadership uh, too, and particularly around the communication. There's some pretty lousy, lousy, let's not pick out any individual politicians in the world, but there's some lousy communication going on with some politician worldwide just at the moment. Yeah. So those are the three sort of core things that I think yeah, we might not go down the political rabbit holes or even the moralistic rabbit holes. No, 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 please don't. So, <laughs> please don't. But I agree with you. Some I could spend moral, hours there. <laughs> some of those moralistic debates seem to be perennial, don't they? And, uh, I don't, and I 100% agree with you, actually. And a bit of tolerance in the world wouldn't uh, be a bad thing, would it? So so uh, what, what about the business uh, studies aspects? What do you think are the emerging things or where do you think that's going at the moment? What the, the trends and the demands from the industry? What, what, what is our business education yeah. doing at the moment? Look, I did some work on a, on a chapter last Christmas, actually. I'm finally grounded out. And um, it, it was around about leadership in the workplace and trying to move towards a more positive approach to leadership. One of my exemplars was a, a well-known former president of the United States, which meant at the time of the year I wrote it, I ended up rewriting it <laughs> um, quite uh, quite quickly. But the, the the basic principle was that I think we've got too much time being spent on the classical MBA route. Now, my business sells MBAs. Let's be quite clear. So I'm not. I don't want to be hypocritical here. But that then it's not what you would call the classic MBA, which is very analytical, very numbers-driven, very quantitative-driven. There, there is certainly a backlash that we see against that in some of the business, the non what we call non-award. They don't give degrees or qualifications in some of the non-award business education around that, and entirely right too. Why do you need a degree? Um, uh, is, is which sounds strange coming from a professor, but it, it is true in some cases. Um, and I've just been reading Richard Branson's autobiographies. He's not going to anything. Anyway, I digress. I think what I see, and what has been stressed by two leading writers, Bryn Jolson and McAfee, uh, on the, uh, the the new industrial age, is that life's going in two directions. At the, you've, you've got the analytical computer programmers who we will need to cope with coding and, and working through all of the, the massive amounts of data that generated 
by the likes of Google and all sorts of applications um, over the next few years. But at the same time, uh, to actually cope with how we use that data and how we work with it, there's this. There's got to be this creative, decision-making, communicative type of leader who is is good at having a much more positive outlook on life. Um, so I, I think we, in a way, and I was reflecting on this this morning, it seems to me, and we're on the cusp of a, a new renaissance, I think, and, and we're seeing much more use of creativity. Design thinking, for example, is on the rise. Courses on creativity are on the rise. Uh, we're beginning to see much more creative approaches, new, new business models being developed all the time. So I think it's that space where there's an opportunity for education to move into. One of the challenges for education is that it's very slow moving. It's very administrative. It's quite hidebound. Uh, Australia has, a, a, for various understandable reasons, quite a challenging regulatory framework for higher education. Mm. But I mean, that there's all sorts of reasons why that's there. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it does tend to slightly constrain some of the innovations we might like to see and to make education more faster moving. Mm. So it's, it's interesting what you say about the uh, leadership. So the most of what you're focusing on is trying to reshape the leadership offering. So, and then you're talking about this uh, more empathetic type of leadership style. Yes, that's right. I, do you think that a lot of the leaders that were that are in their roles at the moment, do you think that everyone has that capability to transform, or do you think it's going to be open to people who have, say, a higher EQ or some some other uh, capabilities? Uh, it's probably not everybody. But don't forget, I mean, one of my favourite writers is Viktor Frankl, um, mm. and you know, basically, to him, life is a, is what you choose to make it. That, that's the short that's the short version of one of the most brilliant books ever written, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. It, it is a matter of personal choice, um, but there's also a fair amount of psychology that sits behind that as well. And, and I'm one of these odd people who. We're on podcasts, so you can't see the books that are behind me. There's a whole raft of books just behind me. Um, and one of the books that sits there is is the what's called the DSM, uh, which is the Guide to Psychological uh, Illnesses. And I think there's a proportion of of leaders who unfortunately sit in the in the rather sociopathic end of of life. Mm. Now they're never going to see. They're never going to see, and that's that's just who they are that's that's their psychological makeup mm. the majority i think are i i think are open-minded um, um but i think the thing that really gets in the way and this is the thing i was writing about uh, earlier this year is this idea of um status anxiety which is a, a, a an idea that goes back to the work of alan de botton the the english philosopher uh, a little while back which is that a lot of leaders or a lot of aspiring leaders are very concerned about their status. And for some, becoming more empathic is, is a lot of, as a, to an extent, is a loss of status. And it's how you deal with that status anxiety that I think is, is particularly important. And that's, and that's how you'll be. Personally, I've gone through a, a, a very radical shift over the last 10 years from where I started to where I am 
now very previously very numbers driven very focused on this that and the other now i begin to think and i think it's to do with age as well i turned 60 last week um i think it's much more about getting the best out of the people that you've got um, mm. and i'm kind of going back towards servant leadership mm. uh, robert greenleaf's work yeah um, which which i think has got a lot of value in it i'm also very influenced by kim cameron the uh, eminent American uh, research, leadership researcher, mm-hmm. um, and and they are all about this this empathy. So, can everybody do it? No, not everybody can do it. Yeah, but I think the uh, I think there is time for particularly people who are just entering the profession to start to think uh, in this manner. Uh, and it's interesting about the what you say about the empathy. I, I was reading something about uh, Angela Merkel this week, as there's been a lot published, and uh, yep. she seemed to be that sort of uh, person who is very um, just there for the job and to support. Oh, people. look, nobody, nobody can survive in that job, mm. uh, particularly because of their bizarrely because mm. of their very mechanical electoral system. Yeah, right. And um, they use the same system in New Zealand as well. <laughs> And it always renders that you've got to have a coalition government. Yeah. Now, if you ain't got empathy, <laughs> you've got no shit of working effectively in a coalition government. And it's the same in organisations. If you mm. can't empathise, right. you're either going to have to become a very dominant, aggressive leader, a very assertive, highly aggressive leader, mm. or you're going to have to find a way to plot through. Now, to an extent, what's also driven that mm. is the fact that a lot of us in the world are not at work. Yeah. And so imposing yourself through a video screen, <laughs> which is what we're recording on, which is what we're recording this through, although we're sure. an audio podcast, imposing yourself through a video screen is actually very difficult. Mm. Uh, and, and also <laughs> people can always choose to switch you off. Um, if, if they don't like what they're hearing or, or, or what they're saying. So, so to an extent, the, the, the physical distancing that we've had as a result of this um, uh, COVID pandemic has actually driven people to actually work in different ways on screens. Yeah, it's forced people to change their styles or to, to actually change their careers, hasn't it? So it's that's right. That's right. Um, can I ask you, just changing a little bit, one of the, the constant themes that's come out of these interviews that Steve and I have been doing is about young people and yeah. also even on a, as people as they progress through their careers and the development of com- communication skills. Yeah. And, uh, a lot of graduates, uh, the common comments that we're getting is that a lot of graduates aren't necessarily taught specifically about communication skills or how to communicate in different situations. What's your experience around communication skills for the, because I know you're dealing with a wide range of students and uh, and people who are studying. What's your experience in this space? It it concerns me greatly. I mean, my own background is I combine science and arts. So my training is originally uh, an earth scientist, climatologist, geographer, computer science, and then went off and did work in in social science, in learning about management and business and management learning. And my PhD is kind of interdisciplinary as a result of that. But I think what we've seen with education, and it does concern me, is yes, we need science. Science is vitally important. Yes, technologically, technology is vitally. Engineering, absolutely vitally important. 
Um, I come from a family of mathematicians. My father was a maths teacher. My sister's got a PhD in maths. Uh, and my brother-in-law's an engineer. Um, so I, I get it. But what concerns me greatly is like the, the late, great Sir Ken Robinson, the, uh, the educational uh, leader of our time, in my opinion, if you've never watched his TED talk, go and watch it, um, is that we're strangling creativity. And mm. a lot of communication skills come out of an ability to be creative, mm. particularly around writing. I, I'm, I, 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 to an extent, although I use Twitter a lot, I mourn. Well, Twitter teaches discipline in writing because if it does, if you get sloppy on Twitter, you soon find out, mm. um, as I have on several occasions. Mm. But I, I do think that we've got this lurch to to the the metaphorically that the, sorry, not metaphorically. That's the wrong expression. The, the paradoxically termed hard sciences. Yes, they're difficult to do. I'm not pouring scorn on them, but communication is is a skill set that we all need. And I think we're a little bit lacking it. And one of the reasons behind that is if you look at the work of the American uh, sociologist, Sherry Turkle, mm. who's out of MIT, over the past 15 years, she's written a whole heap of books on the subject, Life on the Screen and others, is that um, technology is getting in the way of, of humanity to an extent in that... Um, I mean, it's summed up in the cafes that you see occasionally that have the sign outside saying, no, we don't have free Wi-Fi, try talking to each other. And, and how many times I, when we used to be able to sit in cafes, how many times I've sat in a cafe and watched and looked at, at people, forgive me, I am an old man, at the younger end of the spectrum, sitting there across the table of each other, staring longingly into the screen of their iPhone yeah. or similar and not having communication. So it's technology that's kind of going the way. Uh, and, and conversation is, has been the, the loss. And conversation has got many, many forms. Um, uh, but, but it's conversations at home where it's safe to learn to communicate. Mm. They're dying. Mm. They're dying. The, 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 around the, yes, guilty. Yep. Um, the around the dinner table, those safe places to have conversation, to talk about life, to talk about humanity are disappearing. Yeah. Workplace, we're not having nearly enough um, what Susan Scott calls fierce conversations, honest conversations. It, I mean, then you, that doesn't mean having arguments. What that means is being very candid about what people do. Um, You're talking about uh, the difference between uh, people and uh, machines or yeah. people and AI, right? So the Absolutely. communication piece, whether it's written or verbal or whatever. Verbal, whatever. Yeah. And, and, and it's all part of this creative piece. Now, mm. scientists and technologists need to be creative. Mm. There's no question of it. And they are. Um, mm. But they could be so much more creative if we got more arts, imagination, involved yeah, more creativity yeah. that's why i'm a great advocate for design thinking yeah um, and i will get that into any course of study i possibly can because okay. it's all about creativity fantastic all right okay well thanks very much uh, clive that's been fascinating um i've been writing uh, frantically here trying to uh piece it all together um 
And uh, there's so much here. I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to do a great job of it, but I'm going to give it a crack, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think basically you're talking about two different options. Um, one option is an open option. It's a positive option, and it's got to do with creativity and connections and communications and the other side of it is a much narrower option with perhaps more negativities attached to it. Um, I'm not going to say that it's technological, but it's 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 treating people as though they were machines as well mm-hmm. as having people fit into the technology. Um, you know, you've come from a research background and obviously knowledge is important. And I think you highlight the idea of knowledge as power. And the power to, in one sense, to do narrow things, things that are restrictive where you tell people what to think and tell people what to do and you kind of limit what they can do in a sense by the technology. Whilst we often think of technology as being expansive and allowing things to happen, which in some ways it is, but in other ways it can actually take away the human element and we can forget how to be a human being. We can become a user of technology but not actually a conversationalist or an engaging person with other people. But then you talk about the other positive, more positive approach where where it's wonderful to hear you say that we might be, you know, heading towards a new renaissance. And you've you've highlighted a whole bunch of uh, characteristics of this uh, decision making that's based that's ethical, uh, a, a more positive outlook, having a positive attitude, uh, the the whole communications aspect and learning how to do that properly, communicating, creativity, having empathy, um, having a servant leadership approach. Uh, getting the best out of people, seeing that's a priority and figuring out how you're going to deal with status anxiety. I mean, all these things are, are opportunities for growth and expansion, not just not just uh, not working without machines, but, but being more human as we work with machines and open up the future. So that's, that's what I have gotten out of what you've said and I I think it's been wonderful that you've brought so much richness to the table. Thank you. Yeah, that was great, Clive. Thank you very much. Thanks for your insights. It uh, certainly brings a different perspective for us, I think. Thanks, Thanks very much, guys. All right. I enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Humanise Workforce Future You. Please leave a rating or review for the series on the medium where you source your podcast. The transcripts for today's podcast can be found on craigsaffin.com. That's C-R-A-I-G-S-A-P-H-I-N.com. Please subscribe to the series so you don't miss out on the interviews for future guests.